Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Janitors at the Cheesecake Factory underpaid the settlement reached in California. The union difference in the gaming industry. And today on the show, the Brotherhood of Maintenance Way employees and the latest from the United Steelworkers. Welcome to the Friday, January 26th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. We are going to start things off with Mr. Tony Cardwell, who is the general president of the Brotherhood of Maintenance Way Employees. Real simple website, bmwe.org. This is a union that was founded back in 1887 in Alabama. And in 2004, they merged with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters and consolidated their strength with the Teamsters, which has well over a million members. And uh, Tony is one of our new sponsors here as America's Workforce. We appreciate uh, everything that the Brotherhood of Maintenance Way employees has done over the years, and we're going to do more with them in 2024. One of the first things we're going to talk about is the... uh, the fight against the railroad carrier's reduction in workforce. And this is, this is amazing. If you go back eight years, since 2016, the carriers have cut nearly 29% of the workforce. And, and the load has gone up. They're busier than ever. On top of that, the carriers are pushing for longer trains, which cause damage to the structures. That's why we have train derailments today. So obviously safety is a concern. The other part of the conversation is going to zero in on high-speed rail, which is coming to the USA with the first lines opening in 2028. You know, sadly, this country is way behind when it comes to a high-speed rail. You take a look at what's happening in other countries, China, Japan, Rail, well, maybe not high speed, but my gosh, that's the only way you could travel in Europe. So finally, U.S. is playing catch up here. We'll also touch on a paid sick leave. This is all posted on the uh, Brotherhood of Maintenance Way website. They reached an agreement for members on Canadian National. And the membership, this, is, this was a consolidated uh, group of uh, train operators, former Bessemer and Lake Erie, Grand Trunk Western, Illinois Central and Chicago, Central and Pacific, and the Wisconsin Central Railroads. Now, they are all doing business under Canadian National and all have contractual language guaranteeing four paid sick leave days a year. And uh, there's also a bump in wages as well. So uh, finally, finally, they're getting what they rightly deserve. Donnie Blatt will be joining us later in the show. Donnie serves as director of the Steelworkers, District 1, another proud sponsor of America's Workforce. Boy, talk about a storied history. 
He's been a, a dues-paying union activist for 43 years. Donnie took office in 2019 and was reelected in 2021. And a couple of years ago, this was in March of 2022, District 1 encompassed Michigan along with Ohio. I mean, it was Ohio for a long time, and then they decided to consolidate. Uh, more background on Donnie. He's been a member of the Ohio AFL-CIO Executive Board since... Uh, 2006, a member of its executive committee since uh, 2017, chairman of its legislative committee in 2019. Many roles in the steel industry and the union. And uh, what we're going to talk about today is their uh, organizing initiative. Now, although the Steelworkers Union has a dedicated organizing department at their headquarters, which is in Pittsburgh, District 1 is creating an organizing initiative just for District 1. He's going to explain why they're doing that. And the good news is the opinions of unions are very favorable right now. Donnie says being active and educated on what the union does and how we organize only enhances those favorable feelings when unorganized workers have easy access to union organizers. We're also going to touch on the, uh, the Labor Relations Board. Sadly, the board does not have strong laws when it comes to organizing the unorganized, and, and we're going to touch on that as well. Speaking of uh, steel, this is posted on the USW.org website. Good news here. The steelworkers congratulated the Independent Union of Workers of Goodyear, Mexico. And this is in the city of San Luis Potosi on their successful negotiation of a collective bargaining agreement that brings their members under the coverage of Mexico's industry-wide contract. That contract now will boost wages, benefits, and job security for the workers who have been illegally excluded from the industry-wide contract since that plant opened back in 2018. Emil Ramirez is a vice president with the union. And Emil says, fair contracts and a strong democratically elected labor movement in Mexico benefit workers all across North America. This deal will help close the gap between USW members and their Mexican counterparts, slowing the race to the bottom on wages and working conditions. And that's something that hurts us all. Listen to this. After the company installed this was like a company union they call it the ctm union after the company installed a uh, camera security cameras they were caught stealing a ballot box in a previous vote goodyear was forced to negotiate with the union as a result of a complaint filed under the rapid response labor mechanism of the u.s mexico canada agreement that led to an election in August that formed the independent union. <laughs> so the company camera caught them doing a bad thing. And now the workers got a good deal. That's what unions do. All right. So Donnie Blatt will be our second guest right here on America's Workforce. Now, brief look into the world of labor. The segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. The Cheesecake Factory Restaurants and two janitorial contractors 
have agreed to a $1 million settlement. This follows a California Labor Commissioner's Office investigation for underpaying close to 600 janitors. The investigation began in December of 2016 after several complaints of possible wage and hour violations of janitors who cleaned Cheesecake Factory restaurants. This was in San Diego County. The settlement, which was announced this week, addresses wage and hour violations, and as a result, Cheesecake Factory and contractors must adhere to strengthen California laws, closing subcontracting loopholes. That's a problem, and I'm sure it's a problem at a number of restaurants. But, again, you're talking about a union-friendly state, that state being California, where you're going to see some justice for janitors there. A group of nurses has accused Communicare, that's one of the country's largest providers of post-acute health care, of violating the National Labor Relations Act. Jetalyn Ramos, a nurse from the Philippines who worked for Communicare for four months, paid the company over $15,000 in fees when she quit her job. After she paid the fee, Communicare sued her for $100,000 for quitting her job before the three years required by her employment agreement. They also sued another Filipino former nurse, also for $100,000, who quit her job after five months. The company has claimed that it spent over $15 million to bring the nurses to the country and has invested in the nurses through education and training. Now, according to the nurses, the buyout fees are training repayment fees that, according to the general counsel, the labor board can sometimes violate the National Labor Relations Act. Boy, there's one to follow. Microsoft has announced they'll be laying off 1,900 gaming workers. And this has caught the attention of the Communication Workers of America, and they were quick to respond. They said, even when you work at a successful company in a highly profitable industry, you know what? You're not protected without a voice on the job. The union points out, while CWA represented members at ZeniMax, Raven, and Blizzard Albany, well, they won't be impacted by these cuts. And we are heartbroken that the lives of so many dedicated and talented video game workers will be disrupted. Every video game worker deserves not only their fair share, but also the peace of mind that comes from having a say over the impact of job cuts. Through organizing, workers have established basic workplace practices that are now common, like the eight-hour day, five-day work week. By coming together and exercising their right to organize workers in the video game industry, can make layoff protections standard practice for all workers. This is the power of organizing. So we at the CWA will continue to support workers at Microsoft and across the video game industry who want to have a union voice on the job. Layoffs in the video game industry are becoming the norm, even as companies that continue to deliver huge profits. It hurts to see our coworkers who are so passionate about this work who actually make these video game companies so successful will be impacted by any cuts or layoffs at work. Companies will claim that we're all a family, but 
a family doesn't lay off or outsource people. It's clear that one way or the other, the only way forward is for all of us to come together as workers to protect each other. And union representation can't always protect against layoffs, but through union representation and the bargaining process, video game workers can establish greater transparency and policies that put our needs first. And that includes layoff protections. Well said, CWA, another one of our sponsors here on America's Workforce. You can read more about this at cwa-union.org. All right, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, Tony Cardwell, General President of the Brotherhood of Maintenance Way Employees. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Alliance for American Manufacturing is a nonprofit, nonpartisan partnership formed back in 2007 by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers. Their mission is simple, strengthen American manufacturing and create new private sector jobs through smart public policies. Key word there is smart. We need to be smarter than ever in today's highly competitive world. The Alliance for American Manufacturing believes that an innovative and growing manufacturing base is vital to America's economic and national security, as well as providing good jobs for future generations. Good jobs today, good jobs tomorrow. Good American jobs. Find out more at AmericanManufacturing.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org. Let's go to... Uh, Line number one, and welcome a new sponsor to America's Workforce. We've had him on the show a couple of times. His name is Tony Cardwell, and for almost two years now, he's been the general president of the Brotherhood of Maintenance Way Employees, bmwe.org is their website. And as I indicated, uh, almost 20 years ago, yeah, 2004, 
They merged with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. So they got a pretty big union giving them some support. And I'll tell you, we need some support because there's a lot of issues in rail right now. And uh, Tony's going to zero in on one of them right now. And that has to do with the reduction in workforce. Tony, welcome back to uh, America's Workforce. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for the uh, sponsorship. And uh, how's your year going so far? I know we're, 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 not, we're not too much into it, but uh, how are we looking right now? Shaping up for 2024, brother. Well, you know, th- thanks for having me on. I love your show. I love what you guys do. And, uh, y- you know, things are going well personally, uh, I'll say that. But for the rail industry, there's, you know, what we consider to be um, some serious problems and issues. Uh, the rail industry is continuing to attempt to, you know, um, to decimate our workforce. And, and um, you know, I think just a quick overview or history of, of the rail industry, you know, it, a lot of the lines were built in the 1820s, and there's a the great expansion in the 1860s. So, you know, this, this railroad goes back over, you know, railroads go back as far as 200 years in this country and ultimately have always been, subsidized and propped up by the government and a lot of the land they own was provided by the government you know and then over and over again governments kept them operational and um, they they act as if they're this you know this uh, vulture capitalistic company all the time and continue to continue to uh, not allow the government to regulate them and, and try to fight push back on any uh, any type of regulation which would control headcount and, and protect the work, the tracks and the structures to keep the communities that they operate in safe. And uh, they could, they've now have just reduced the workforce to a level that seems to be they're verging on the, on, on the next crisis, the next East Palestine, and that's a concern. We did some research in, in, and uh, the, the workforce since 2016 has been cut on some of these railroads nearly 30%. From 2016 to today's date, they've been got by nearly 30%. And, and you know, the carrier makes these kind of fallacious arguments uh, they, they throw out that say, well, there's been technology and these other things. It's just simply not true. Uh, the technology in the rail industry hasn't changed significantly at all concerning, you know, my, my, our, our, the people we represent, which is the building and maintenance of the track and, and the, the, the machines are the same. They haven't advanced any, any, any there's been no great expansion of technology in the industry. And so, um, you know, they use that argument. They use other arguments that just make no sense. The problem is there's just an immense amount of workload being placed on fewer employees. And our, our members are, are, are being worked literally just like dogs. They just, they're, they're working 70, 80 hour weeks. So it's not a common work that in and out every week or you know throughout the entire year and the railroads really tighten their discipline policies and their attendance policies so they're forced to be there and you know it's very tough to get any time off and that goes for all the crafts not just my own so they you know they've reduced reduced the workforce and then put the the, the workload on a fewer fewer employees and it's getting you know there's, there's going to be a breaking point in the near future. I thought that the uh, contract might have been the breaking point, but the railroads didn't learn their lessons because they're still announcing on some of the railroads are announcing on their earnings calls. Uh, some of uh, one of them was yesterday that they still want to, you know, they still want to reduce the workforce even more. So, 
they've got a real you know conflict going on and and they really try to keep the government from regulating any of this and it's pretty frustrating because you know i consider the railroads kind of somewhat of a, a national treasure they're the ones that you know it, it, the railroads what built the it, you know or supported the industrial revolution and, and i think that they're so important and vital to this country to this day a lot of people don't fully understand all the stuff that they do uh, to keep the keep this country uh, uh, operational and it's it's frustrating that we just kind of let them run amok and just suck all the assets and the and and the you know the, the benefits of the, of the railroads are being destroyed by these ultra capitalists and so it's it's a, it's frustrating and it's it's dangerous yeah, and these they're they're operating on on a level that's going to eventually turn into another catastrophe. And I try to say this everywhere I go. I tell the railroads this when I meet with them. Uh, we're very very concerned about railroad safety, and, and it's turning into quite a mess. So um, it's it's unfortunate, but there will be a breaking point, and I hope that it doesn't you know it doesn't happen. I I pray and hope that it doesn't happen in an American city somewhere where. We have this catastrophe, but I'm also very concerned that a whale just their actions are are driving it into the ground, and and it's going to end up end up going there some sometime or another. And if they didn't learn nothing from East Palestine, it, it seems like it's just going to happen on another railroad in another town, and it, you know again. So mm-hmm. you know, unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, it, it's profits over people. That, that's what we're talking about here, profits over people. You, you mentioned the, uh, the reduction in workforce of around 30%. Do you have a, do you have a count on that? How, how, many ta- how many people are we talking about there, Tony? Yeah, I have a count definitely on our, our particular workforce, but we're, ta- we're talking just in the, in the, in the maintenance away craft. We had, uh, you know, we had well over, um, we had well over 30,000 employees in 2016, we'll just take specifics on the railroads. You have to break it down railroad by railroad. So I used Union Pacific, which is the largest railroad. Uh, we had, you know, 8,900 employees in 2016, and we're operating somewhere in the vicinity of, of around 5,500 to 5,800 right now, um, depending on, you know, any given day and layoffs and whatnot. So, you know, you can just kind of draw the conclusion on that, expand those numbers throughout the entire country. And when you start when you start doing the numbers, it depends on the craft. Some crafts are cutting much, much heavier uh, than other crafts. Uh, the car department, for example, I know their, their workforce has been cut by nearly half uh, since 2016. So they've suffered way more than 30, where, you know, the certain other crafts have, have been reduced a little less. However, the overall count is right around 30 percent um, uh, for the workforce, and, and so you know, and that's the that's the union workers, the guys that do, the, the guys and ladies that do all the work in the uh, in the field. Uh, management's been reduced significantly as well, but um, n- nothing compared to the workforce. And and as you pointed out too, the the reductions are continuing here. What what blows my mind? You're talking 70, 80 hours a week. Boy, that's a lot of wear and tear on the workers in the in the rail sector. Uh, you would think if they're working that long, I mean, they got to be paid overtime. Uh, why why wouldn't they hire more people? I, I I don't I don't understand that part. Can can you answer that for me, Tony? <laughs> the simplest of questions can be answered on the railroad, and, and that question has been asked by, you know, the we have, you know, a couple hundred union reps throughout our industry in, in the maintenance away craft, 
And I'm sure every one of them scratch their head because they ask that same question every time they sit down with a, a railroad and ask, you know, ask that same question. All the overtime you're paying, why in the world would, would they be cheaper, it seems like, to, to um, you know, pay other more employees. Um, and the railroad has, you know, they've done the, they have the bean counters and they've, they've put everything together. And I guess they figured that somehow or another it saves money. It is it is crazy because we have guys that are making, you know, making let's say thirty five, thirty six dollars an hour, um, all the way to you know forty, forty two dollars an hour, on some occasions that are are, are making you know two hundred thousand dollars a year because they're working so much overtime. It's a, it's it's totally insane. What about uh, paid sick leave? I saw on your uh, your website. Website, by the way, is bmwe.org. And by the way, we're speaking with Tony Cardwell, who's general president of the Brotherhood of Maintenance Way Employees. I see you reached an agreement with Canadian National, and there's another rail carrier that was consolidated uh, some years back, and they have uh, language guaranteeing four paid sick leaves. I know some carriers are up to six, but we seem to be, slowly moving in the right direction on this? I'd like to get your opinion on that. We are, and it has been a struggle, uh, but we've gotten, uh, I would say with some railroads, some railroads uh, didn't want to. It became a national story. They didn't want to, they don't want to be in the news. They don't want to be looked at the way they were looked at. They don't want so much attention brought to them. So they they understood that, and they immediately uh, worked with us on some agreements, and some have been pretty nasty. Right now, the Canadian Pacific Railroad has been vicious. And we find this ironic because Canadian Pacific Railroad has just done a huge expansion in buying Kansas City Southern, and and they've merged those two companies now, and so they have operations all the way from, you know, the West Coast in Canada yeah, over to the East Coast and, and down in the, down through the United States into Mexico, and they go all the way into southern Mexico. And so they are a gigantic national railroad now, and our international railroad, excuse me. And they, um, they, they have sick leave days north of the border. They have 10 days. It's mandated by the government. Every class one railroad in the United States has it now, except for the Canadian Pacific, and they're fighting tooth and nail to not provide it for the uh, American workforce. And and uh, I think all the crafts share my frustration with Canadian Pacific that they simply uh, they're not, they're, they want to negotiate agreements, but they want to take quality of life issues from our members so that they can give them sick leave. So they want to say, okay, well, what quality, what other quality of life issues of value can we take from you so that we can give you this sick leave? So they want quid pro quo bargaining is what you know is known in the industry. And, and they want to trade, horse trade, one quality of life issues for, for another quality of life issue. And, and we're not going to do that, neither are any of the other crafts. And so it's probably going to turn into quite a dust up with Canadian Pacific. Uh, that's pretty frustrating because a lot of, you know, a huge part of their workforce in Canada already has sick leave. And the rest of the class ones have sick leave. Uh, they just got approved by the STB for uh, this merger, I think, about a year ago. And, um, you know, so they have a gigantic railroad that they spent, you know, in the tune, just billions and billions of dollars, I think $30 billion they bought Canadian, uh, or excuse me, uh, Kansas City Southern Railroad. 
but yet they can't provide sick leave, four days of sick leave to the, the members of the United States. It's pretty, it's pretty aggravating, and, and I know there's going to be quite a dust up on this. If they, it's going to get, I think, pretty nasty, and, and ultimately we're just going to have to fight and fight and fight until we get it for our members, and it's going to require a lot of picketing and public displays to, to get it done. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna get it though. Um, the mm-hmm. smaller railroads are working one by one. We're almost there. We got a lot of them already. That's where the union comes in. We're speaking with Tony Cardwell, General President of the Brotherhood of Maintenance Way Employees. Again, that website, bmwe.org. We're going to continue with Tony. In fact, we're going to talk about high-speed rail coming to the United States of America. Later in the show, we're going to be checking in with Donnie Blatt. Donnie is the District 1 Director for the United Steelworkers, and he is going to talk about organizing. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the U.S. Mega projects, large and medium-sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook, Google, and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF travel for more information. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce radio and podcast. This portion of the show is brought to you by Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield, labor's trusted health partner, bringing people, communities, and care together to transform the future of health. For more information, please visit anthem.com slash labor and trust. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org is their website. Let's go back to our live line, rejoin Tony Cardwell, Tony, general president for two years almost now for the 
Brotherhood of Maintenance Way employees and their website, bmwe.org. All right, we talked about uh, paid sick leave. We talked about the reduction in the workforce now. Let's talk about high-speed rail. I've been reading a whole lot of things. I guess out in California, it's really going to explode here in a couple of years, and your brothers and sisters in the Brotherhood of Maintenance Way are, are ready for it. Talk to me about what's about to happen, Tony. It's all yours. Absolutely, yeah. We entered into, uh, it's exciting, we entered into card check agreements with uh with a couple of uh, groups. Um, one of them is Brightline um, West, and that's a, com- a company, a private industry that's building a, a high-speed rail between LA and Las Vegas. And that, that, that rail is going to be, um, that, that, that particular line is gonna be in business uh, prior to uh, the Olympics of the 2028. And then uh, it, it, there's uh, the California High-Speed Rail um, Corporation that we're working with and entered into agreement with and on car check as well. And we did this and, and helped them raise funding. They got um, some uh, government sector funding as well. It came from some of the grant money. Um, and we were able to raise, uh, I think, around $6 billion, about $3 billion a piece for those two groups and some funding. Uh, and it really helped those railroads um, get to where they're at. And so. Um, now it looks like we're going to have some some of the services in place uh, around starting in 2028. Uh, these are going to be trains that travel, you know, right around 200 miles an hour, and between 100 and I think 210 miles per hour, on, in these locations, and they're going to service that that part of the, the country. There's also a project uh, being looked at in several other places. One in Texas, uh, from I believe it's going to go from Dallas to Houston. Uh, or San Antonio to Houston, I believe. Uh, and then there's uh, some other locations throughout the United States where they're looking at these uh, these high-speed potential lines, and there's there's been some some uh, property purchase and all kinds of things to get these things moving. So I think we're right on the cusp of this, you know, major expansion of high-speed rail in America. It's way overdue. Uh, you know, it started in, in the 60s in other European countries and whatnot, and, and it's the preferred way of transportation in those locations, but for some reason it, it hasn't happened here, and I think it's a, just getting ready to take off and launch. Um, that that the line between LA and and, uh, and Nevada, Las Vegas, Nevada, is a is a heavily traveled area, and that that's going to significantly improve the travel between those two locations. So we're excited about that, and then it's the Central Valley in in uh, California that's going to have this operational. It's going to go from you know, up in, up in uh, Northern California down to, I think, Bakersfield to start with, and then it's going to expand out into the Bay Area. So we're excited about this. It's a huge deal for those folks, and if anyone driven in the California traffic is going to really appreciate, you know, jumping on a, jumping on a railroad and, and doing their work in the morning while they're traveling, you know, nearly 200 miles an hour through that area. Yeah, I like that, 200 miles per hour. Yeah, you, you raise a good point, too. I mentioned this at the top of the show. You know, we're so way behind on this this issue of, of rail and high-speed rail. I mean, Europe is all connected. Well, even with Amtrak in the Northeast, I mean, that's uh, that's been very beneficial for commuters in the Northeast. But the rest of the country, it's just, they've been very slow to react. My question to you, with, with this happening, and I know you're excited about it. I could tell in the tone of your voice. What are we looking at as far as employment? Do we have any numbers on that, or is it maybe too premature at this stage? 
They don't. They don't know yet, and we try to. We try to have this discussion. It, quite frankly, I understand why. We actually have a very cooperative, good group to work with in the California high-speed rail as well as Brightline, um, and, and it's just hard to gauge those numbers. Um, it, it, there's, you know, there's a, um, a catenary system, or it's an electrified type system that has to be put in place, and it's hard to really tell how many people it's going to take to maintain those in our craft. Uh, it's, you know, and, and the other crafts have, you know, the issues as well. They're also struggling, you know, trying to figure out, they want to build the trade sets in America, it's build America, you know, policy that they're trying to implement, but, you know, that capacity is not here yet, and so we're waiting to see if, if enough um, companies will start building these trade sets in America, or if, you know, they have to start being built in, in Europe or, or elsewhere, and then brought to America, um, th those determinations haven't been made yet. And so I know I know there's been some contracts made, and I think it's going to some of it's going to be built in overseas and then brought here. Um, and, but in the same time, they're building some factories in, in the United States, in which they will eventually be uh, building here in America. So uh, you know it's hard to gauge the number of employment that's going to go on. But right now, just the construction. Of the of the project in California, a lot of this system has already been built. The bridges and and a lot of the um, a lot of the work has been done. A lot of the structures are in place in California right now already, and a lot of people don't understand that. And they've it's employed around 160,000 people in the trade unions. Um, once the once the railroads in operation, our members will take over and, and maintain and, and and expand that those those railroads, and so. Um, that hopefully that explains that. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, we'll definitely stay on this issue. But, you know, it, it's exciting. It's going to be different for so many people. And I know that people are going to take advantage of it because, hey, 200 miles an hour, you got my attention. You got my attention. And I love that uh, link between uh, Los Angeles and Las Vegas. That's going to be uh, very, very uh, worthwhile for a lot of commuters in that area. All right, good conversation. Tony Cardwell, General President of the Brotherhood of Maintenance Way Employees, bmwe.org is our national website. Uh, one of our new sponsors here on America's Workforce. We appreciate uh, what you do over there. We appreciate the Teamsters, too. That's another sponsor. They had a wonderful year last year with the UPS contract. So hopefully a lot of that's going to continue. I know you got your fight with the railroads and all that, but we're going to stay on that as well. Okay, brother? Thank you, and uh, we appreciate the work that you guys do. It's uh, this stuff is, is amazing. I love listening to your to your programs. Okay, we're continuing it right here on America's Workforce AWFPodcast.com. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Donnie Blatt is the District One Director for the Steelworkers, and they are in the process of creating an organizing initiative just for District One, which encompasses Ohio and Michigan. He'll talk about it next, right here on the show. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Lyuna. Find out what it takes for Lyuna to keep America running at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. 
The Iron Workers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight iron worker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylights and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great iron worker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBalladSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at Lyuna.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to line number two. And welcome back to the show. Haven't had this guy on for a while. Donnie Blatt is his name, and he is the director of District 1 of the Steelworkers, and that encompasses Ohio and the state of Michigan. That merger happened a couple of years ago. It used to be just Ohio, but uh, they made some changes there. By the way, the Steelworkers represent 850,000 workers in metals, in mining, pulp, paper, rubber, chemicals, glass, auto supply, and the energy-producing industries, along with a growing number of workers in healthcare, public sector, higher education, tech, and service occupations. I'm telling you, a lot of diversity in the United Steelworkers, no doubt about that. Donnie Blatt, how are we doing today, brother? Happy New Year to you. Oh, good afternoon, Flash. Happy New Year to you as well. Okay, and boy, you got a long history with the uh, steel. What is it? Is it forty three, forty four years, something like that? Right yeah, now? it's about it's about four. Yeah, forty three years from the first time I paid a a dues with the steelworkers. Best forty three years of my life. There you go. There, and a good life indeed, no doubt about yeah, that. Absolutely. Well, I understand that there's an organizing initiative underway in District 1. Why don't you explain what's going on? Because normally this would be something in Pittsburgh at at headquarters. So what's the story here, Donnie? Okay, well, in the district, uh, you know, we're always trying to find ways uh, to give workers the opportunity to bargain collectively for their wages and their benefits and their working conditions and always trying to find a better way to do that. And, and uh, you know, we have these discussions regularly. And so we've come up with this initiative in District 1 that we're going to try uh, in Ohio and Michigan. And, we're, and the premise is, is to try to make it more localized. Uh, right now, as you said, you know, we have an organizing department 
uh, in Pittsburgh. And and when folks want to organize, um, you know, we'll we'll get a hold of our organizing department in Pittsburgh, and they'll send somebody from Pittsburgh out to Ohio or Michigan, who really the workers really don't know. And and um, uh, so we're trying to do a, a train the trainer uh, in the district, uh, where we will have folks from each one of our sub-districts, we're broken up into six sub-districts in Ohio and Michigan, and so we'll have somebody in each one of the sub-districts that uh, will um, go out to the local, uh, our union, local unions that we have uh, and train them to have an effective organizing committee. So the premise here is that now we'll localize that uh, and if uh, a fr- maybe a friend or a neighbor is talking about uh, organizing their workplace, they'll have somebody that locally that they can talk to, somebody that they may know or somebody that maybe works in a, right down the street in a unionized workplace so they can really talk to them uh, about uh, what that means for them on a, on a, a localized level. Um, so we're really trying to localize that down. So, and we think that creates more trust um, with whether it's somebody that may maybe you know, or it's a neighbor, or your neighbor knows, or maybe it just lives in your in your area. Um, and so we're trying to create that trust uh, so people can get really can get real answers about what it means to be organized and bargain collectively. Well, Donnie, there's an old saying in politics, all politics is local. So I guess all organizing is local as well. Could we agree to that? I, I think that's right. You know, I, I think that uh, that uh, people are looking for ig- local examples uh-huh. about what that means for them and, and have real can really see uh, what it means for somebody that has the opportunity to to bargain for their wages and their their benefits and their working conditions and and what it means to have real collective action in your workplaces, and I think the tr- that trust factor is probably the biggest thing uh, that people need uh, if they're going to make that decision because you know companies will go out there all the time and they'll they'll intimidate and they'll they spend millions of dollars a year intimidating workers not to organize and um, and so we're just trying to get that trust factor out there and so people can answer real questions uh, about what it means for them yeah I know that that's a big issue there we need stronger uh, labor laws that we'll, we'll, we can talk on that in a little bit but this uh, plan, this organizing initiative, is this exclusive to District 1? And and if it is, are you just trying it here and then are you going to work in the other districts? Well, I think we're, we're going to try it here uh, and uh, see. We're going to work at it very, very hard, Flash. We're, we've had, I've had a lot of discussions with the subdirectors and the staff, um, and we're, we, you know, they're out talking to the people that they represent about about how we do this. And we, we're going to work hard at this and try to make this really successful. And, and uh, it is an initiative that we're starting here in our district first. Um, and I, I don't think the other districts have tried to do anything like this. Uh, but, if it's, if, but if it is successful and we're going to do our level best to make sure it's a successful program, you know, maybe it's something we can start in the other districts or, uh, or even other unions. You know, there, there are programs uh, that we do all the time that, that catch on and, and become successful, and we're hoping this is going to be one of them. 
And, and where are we in the stage of this? Is, is this still being developed as we speak, this, this organizing initiative? Well, we've, we've developed the premise. Uh, next, uh, or in March, uh, early March, we're going to, we have folks that we sent out, uh, one in each one of our sub-districts that are going to go to our organizing department in Pittsburgh, and we're going to do a, a week-long train-to-trainer for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then we're going to send them out uh, into their sub-districts to the, to the local unions where we have density uh, to first, where we have density, and then uh, get them to train those local unions um, to set up real organizing committees. You know, for for a long time, Flash, we we have we've kind of felt in this this uh, venue because people get asked all the time. You know, what's it what you know what's it like to be part of a union, and what's it mean to bargain collectively, and and how can I how can we in our workplace have the opportunity to, to do that? And the local folks don't really know how to answer those questions. Uh, they end up coming back to us, and we would send somebody from Pittsburgh to come out and answer those questions. Our goal is to make sure that if they get asked that question, they can give them real answers, and they can mm-hmm. give them real guidance uh, about you know, what those steps are that they have to take, kind of guide them through, this, through the process. And it's somebody that hopefully that they know or it's in their local area. Well, you touched on something, too, that I want to expand on this show, and that is educating people about unions, especially young people. And I was just reading recently that uh, California is going to start doing that. They're going to put that in their curriculum and, mm-hmm. and you know, get young people acclimated to unions. It's, it's a union history, what do unions do. There's so many people today that just don't have any clue what, yeah, what a yeah. union is, you know? Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And you know, when I was uh, look, I'm 64 years old now, and so, but when I was a young man and I was going to school, we we were given that opportunity to do that, and and unions were more pre- prevalent back then. And you know, my father helped uh, start the union at the facility that I started working at, Ormet Aluminum. Uh, so we we were acclimated and and you know got the information on what how uh, the union worked and and uh, what it meant to people. Uh, but you know that's fallen off uh, significantly uh, as the, the generations have uh, continued on, and and we need really need to get back to that and let people know what their rights are. We go through our lives signing contracts with everybody, people that fix our homes, our cars, or you know financial institutions. We sign contracts with everybody, and and the American worker is the is the group with the least opportunity. Uh, to have a contract that says this is what you're going to pay me for the services that I provide you. Uh, And so we're hoping to kind of turn that around. And Donnie, your timing could not be better. I mean, you know what happened last year with organized labor. You, You got some big contracts all together, all together, 900,000 people got contracts, multi-year contracts with double-digit raises. Some of them had to go on strike. Others threatened to go on strike. And there was a lot of organizing. And I know there was a lot of organizing in the steelworkers. I mean, it was across the board. And people are more vocal about it now. And I know you wanted to touch on the the favorability factor of of unions. Isn't it like a 50-, 60-year high right now? 
Yeah, it's a, it, it really is at all at a, uh, an all time high. It's probably as high as we've seen it for a long time. Workers are more favorable, have a favorable opinion for uh, unions and, and and being able to bargain collectively. And there are polls out there that say that seventy percent of the workers uh, out there would join a union if they had the opportunity. And mm-hmm. that's what we want to try to create create this opportunity for them. Our laws are so weak. Uh, when it comes to organizing, you know, we have a piece of legislation out there called the PRO Act where uh, friends of labor like uh, Senator Sherrod Brown and and uh, Marcy Kaptur in the House and, you know, Amelia Sykes in the House and uh, uh, Chantel Brown and folks like that that uh, uh, are are trying to get that legislation through the uh, past um, and are talking uh, uh, to their colleagues about what that means for workers. Um, but we, we have to, we have to make sure people understand, uh, they have the right to do it. Companies are going to come out there and they're going to come after them. They're going to intimidate them and bully them and try to get, to get them not to do that. We just need to be able to give them that guidance, somebody they can talk to and, and warn them what, this is what's going to happen once we do this, but, but you got to stay the course and, and kind of give them a, a path uh, that will allow them to get to the end and and have that opportunity to bargain collectively with their with their employers. Yeah, you got to stay uh, strong and stay vigilant on it. Yeah, good That's good right. conversation here. Good conversation. Just about a minute left here. How's my buddy Dave McCall doing as international president? You know what, Dave McCall is doing a fantastic job uh, leading our union. You know, we had a big loss there with uh, with our international president Tom Conway, who was a great leader for us and. We miss him dearly, but we couldn't have a better person uh, in uh, as international president now than Dave McCall. He's just doing a fantastic job and was a seamless transition, uh, and he's out there working and, and making our union stronger than it's ever been before. Well, you tell him Flash said hello. I've, I've known Dave for going on 26 years. We had him on the show. He was one of the first guests on the show when I started hosting the show back in the, uh, the, the late 90s, and that wasn't a good time for Steele with all the bankruptcies going on. But you know what? You you hung in there, and you are strong today. 850,000 strong. So uh, you take care. Stay safe, my brother. We'll be talking down the road, okay? Thank you, Flash. I appreciate you, brother. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, the National Labor Office at Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield and the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. That would be Local 100. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.